Hey everybody, before we kick off the show, I just wanted to let you know about some updates we have. We've been expanding our social media and online presence. You can find our show pages on Tumblr at kinkyfactspodcast.tumblr.com. Kinky F-A-Q-S podcast is our Tumblr page. And you can find us on FetLife at kinkyfackers, all one word, just like the name of the podcast. You can also now find our show on iTunes and Google Play Music in addition to SoundCloud. All under the name Kinky Fackers, and that's K-I-N-K-Y-F-A-Q-E-R-S. All right, let's get on with the show. Thank you for tuning in to the second episode of Kinky Fackers. Yep, we're glad you decided to join us. Today we're going to be doing a dictionary glossary episode. Just a couple of the words you need to know in order to navigate the waters of kink more effectively. Kink to English, you might say. Yeah. So... Vocabulary is pretty expansive. We're just going to be touching on a couple things. These are just kind of your basics, and we're going to give a real brief overview of these. It's not going to be a super detailed definition because we don't experience all of these dynamics. We don't experience all of these roles ourselves. So if you feel like a role or a word really connects with you, do more research. Look into it. This podcast is basically just to give you an overview of what's out there, the different roles, some of the different dynamics, and some of the different words that you may need to know. Yeah, the best way to use the information you get in this podcast is just to see what perks your ears up, see what grabs your attention, and then research it further for yourself. Because not all of these dynamics we've experienced. And I don't feel like I can give as good a definition on some that I don't experience as I can on the one I, ones I do. It's yeah, always exactly. easier to talk about what you are experiencing, what you do identify as, and what you don't. Exactly. So with that in mind, let's get started. Our first topic is the dominance and submission dynamic. Actually, backing up a little bit before we do get started, I want to kind of give our, our disclaimer. What we're explaining, the definitions that we're giving are our personal definitions or our personal understanding of the roles within the community. Yeah, there's a lot of variance in how people interpret these labels and interpret these dynamics and what falls under what category. And a role can be different for every person. Exactly. It can mean a different thing for every person. This is just to our understanding and what we have learned in our BDSM community. Yeah. These are not the begin-all, end-all. These are not dictionary definitions by any means. These are just our understanding of what this means in our perspective. So So please keep in mind that your mileage may vary. (laughs) Yeah, something. Terms and conditions apply. Yes. Read the fine print. There Except is the no terms fine and conditions. Print, and that's what makes it hard. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. There is no strict hard and fast definition for any of these. No. Um, I can I I do identify as a brat, but the way that I identify and express myself as a brat can be completely different from the way somebody else who identifies as a brat sees it. So And you're gonna learn all about that here in this episode. Yes, you are. All right. So our without fir- further ado. Without further ado, our first topic is dominance and submission. And What that refers to generally is who calls the shots in a particular relationship. There are the letters in BDSM um, and the way that they're expressed are a little bit different too. So a lot of times in dominance submission, you'll have the capital D and the lower slash lowercase s. And if you see that, that usually means dominant Dominant submissive. submissive. So the dominant would be in the dominant role. They would be in charge of certain aspects of the relationship that have been agreed upon for them to have control over. That can be any aspect of the relationship. They could choose what their submissive wears. They could choose their diet. They could choose what kinds of play they engage in for how long. They can choose when their submissive gets to orgasm. They can choose how their submissive gets to orgasm. Mm -hmm. They can choose what their submissive will be doing for them. If it's Mm -hmm. kind of more of a service type thing, today you're going to clean the bathroom Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. It varies so much. Dominant submissive is just like this huge umbrella and there's all these little facets and intricacies with it that can mean different things for different people. But the underpinning commonality 
between all of them is just that the dominant has more control than the submissive over some aspects of their relationship. Because the submissive, when entering into this relationship, has given that dominant control. Exactly. They have agreed upon this. They have negotiated. This is what I'm okay with. This is what I expect out of me being a submissive to you. This is what I expect being a dominant to you. And they have negotiated on terms and agreed, this is the the power that I'm okay giving you. Yeah. Power is not taken. It is given. Yep. And that's a very important distinction. You are not a dominant because you make somebody do something. Yeah. You're a dominant because they have allowed you to be in charge of that for them. And they trust you enough to yeah. be in charge of that for them. Trust is a huge factor, not only in life, but if you're talking about kink fetish BDSM, trust is a huge thing mm-hmm. in this community. Because we do engage in so many different things and you need to be able to trust the people that you're playing with and engaging in. Yeah, we're sure that you've all seen unflattering portrayals of certain things that you might be into in TV or pop culture. And a lot of people who are not into those same things share a flawed view of how it is and perhaps are not the most welcoming to your particular kink or fetish. Well, it goes back to we fear what we don't understand. Exactly. A lot of people just don't get it. And so trust in the BDSM community, it's an important part of the experience because knowing the person you're with just gets it and isn't going to judge you for it. And that's a big first step, but it is only the first step. And there's a lot more that has to come after that. I personally don't play with anybody if I don't have a connection with them and if I don't trust them. And when I use the term play, it can be intimate and sexual. It can be not intimate and sexual. So I don't generally let anybody put hands on me at all or do anything to me unless I have a certain degree of trust with them. Mm -hmm. And when you should trust someone is when you think you should trust someone. Mm -hmm. No one should be pressuring you or trying to push you into trying something you're not comfortable with. So, Jake, you are a dominant. That's what you identify as. And you do have a submissive. That's right. So would you mind telling us a little bit about your personal dominant submissive? Yeah, so we're kind of in the early stages of our DS relationship right now. We are in a process that is known as consideration. Basically what that means is we're trying to establish goals and expectations, what I want from her what she wants from me. We are in in an evaluation process to figure out whether or not uh, I can give her what she needs and what she can give me what I need. So if you're framing it in like job terms, a consideration period is kind of like your probationary period when you get a job. Yeah, your first 90. It's making sure that you can do the job, that you fit the work, um, that you fit the environment. And that the job suits you as well. So it's making sure that you both are compatible, that you both can give each other what the other one needs. Yeah, so it's establishing goals for the relationship and just further deepening that trust. Obviously, there's already a high degree of trust that goes into even considering a consideration period, but you work further toward developing a solid, firm, dominant, and submissive dynamic. What that means for us is that I will gradually start making more decisions in our relationship and establishing punishments for when my expectations aren't met. And it also means figuring out the boundaries of what expectations I'm allowed to have and her aptitude to learn what my desires are and her willingness to fulfill those desires and whether all of that together works out for both of us. So essentially a consideration period is like trying to do a huge jigsaw puzzle and figure out if you two can put the pieces together. Exactly. Exactly. So with that, that's kind of a, a brief overview of a dominant submissive. And I do want to point out submissive does not mean doormat. Nope. It does not mean that they do not have any say. It doesn't mean that the dominant and submissive don't argue. It doesn't mean that the submissive can't say no or can't say I did not consent to that. Yeah. Consent is a huge thing in all forms of BDSM I feel relationships. Like, I feel like we're going to sound like broken records on this. Probably. And I don't it's care. So important. Yeah. It's really important. 
oftentimes actually submissives outside of their kink life they are very much more dominant personalities they like to be in control Mm -hmm. they're a little bit type a if you'll pardon the the Hmm. expression but being a submissive in the kink world allows them to quote unquote shut off for a little while and it allows a part of their brain to just take a step back because Mm -hmm. they're not having to make all the decisions they're not having to figure out what to do next they're not having to try and have all of that self-discipline that they have in every other aspect of their life yeah and i will say that maybe this is one time that pop culture gets it right your high power ceo who on the download goes and visits a dame or dominatrix (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in a hotel room just to unwind and relax for a little bit. Yeah, I feel like that's... That one might be That might be one accurate. of the more accurate ones. Yeah. And I do want to bring up too that we use dominant submissive and in Jake's case, it is a male dominant and a female submissive, but there is no standard for a dominant submissive. I mean, there's no standard, um, but I would say it's more common um, from what I've seen. And I think it would depend on the area that you're in and just, yeah, probably. That just how that culture in your part of the world is. But a dominant can identify as any gender they can identify as no gender i mean it can fall anywhere on the spectrum and then same with the submissive it doesn't matter what gender or sexuality or lack of sexuality you identify as you can be a dominant you can be a submissive i think we should move on to the master slave dynamic and this is not one that either of us have any personal experience in Mm -hmm. the dominant submissive umbrella really means it's a power exchange relationship right You are giving power, they are accepting power. Yeah. Master-slave, to my understanding, is that the master assumes total control over the slave. The slave doesn't really have the ability to say no anymore. Mm -hmm. They have the ability to discuss. They have the ability to ask for clarification. I don't understand why you've made this decision. But at the end of the day, the slave has given that master total power over their body and over their life, essentially. There is a, a very lengthy consideration period with mm-hmm. a master-slave dynamic just because it For is, everyone's sake. It's a 24-7 dynamic at that point, usually. Mm-hmm. It is a very... It's not something to be entered into lightly. You have to have complete and total trust in the master if you are in the slave dynamic. And as the master, you really don't get to take that dominant hat off anymore. You kind of have to be in that role all the time. Yeah, that's that's my understanding of it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we don't have any firsthand experience with that. You know, the first people I ever met from FetLife was a Gorian couple. Really? Yeah. Do you want to explain yeah. what that is? Ah, uh, man. I know. We're, we're getting into it now, but... The Gorian lifestyle originated in a fictional series that started sometime in the 50s or 60s? Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah. The Chronicles of Gore, or something like that, spelled G-O-R. And basically, in that universe, men are warriors and builders and all your stereotypically masculine things. All your functioning members of society. Yeah, yeah. People, essentially. (laughs) Men, men are full people and then women are either property or waiting to become property. From my understanding of the series, when you want an unowned woman, you just kind of go snatch her. And obviously that's not how it works in today's society for the Gorian lifestyle, but it is a 100% total power exchange. Your Gorian slave is your property. Essentially, yeah. And a, yeah. a Gorian slave is called a Kajira. Kajira, right. Um, I, I would say just do more research on that one. Yeah, um, oh my god. It, we'd be here all day. It <laughs> runs deep. It really does. There's 8,000 different positions that mean something. There's st- the, the protocol in that dynamic is so incredibly intense. Yeah, they were explaining to me some of their protocols, and one of them was she could only have a sip of her drink after he'd taken one of his. And I forget if it was mandatory that she did that. And she had to walk beside him in a certain position when they were on the street together. Whenever he entered a room in the house, she had to assume a certain position. And she wasn't allowed to wear panties around the house unless they had non-kinky company over. It was detailed. It was really deep. Intense stuff. I would argue that a master-slave dynamic can get that detailed as well. The difference is, is that that's not necessarily expected to have that high of a protocol in a master-slave relationship. It's, yeah. It differs with every single couple. It differs in every single dynamic. 
Whereas in a Gorian couple, I would say that they, because of that book, they do have almost a standard to yeah, assume. Yeah. And there, there are like protocol manuals for Gorians, mm-hmm. I believe. So Yeah, they, they exist within the universe and then the books have excerpts of them. If you're interested in reading about the Gorian lifestyle, I forget the exact URL of the website, but you can definitely Google it. There's like a Wikipedia page that just has thousands of quotes on it and they're all read the books yeah or you can just read the books also an option so if you have like a decade to commit to <laughs> they are they are pretty memory. lengthy there's a lot of them too. Yeah, there's like 50 of them i know so this is why they're the st- there's a standard because they've got yeah enough, exactly they've got a lot they've of got enough literature. material so with a master slave dynamic there's usually a process called coloring Coloring exists in the dominant and submissive dynamic, too. Very broadly speaking, it means that you have achieved a predetermined milestone in your relationship. That could celebrate the end of your consideration period. I would say and that that usually is when somebody's collared, is at the end yeah, of your consideration I, period. You can also put a, tra- you can put a training collar on them, too. If you have pre-consideration period... Mm-hmm. Uh, you can put a training collar on them to signify, okay, this is your consideration period, and then they get your collar, quote unquote, after that. It's different things to different people, but generally it means that the master and slave or dominant and submissive have achieved a milestone that they've agreed on in their relationship. And it doesn't always have to be a collar. Sometimes it can be um, yeah, a sure. necklace. It can, it can be a bracelet. bracelet. It can ring. It can be a ring. So just because you don't see a collar on somebody doesn't mean that they're not in that dynamic. Very true. In the Gorian <laughs> tradition, it could be a brand too. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That they, that's intense. They are some intense um, folks. Also, collars have become a fashion statement. Just because you see somebody wearing a collar does not mean that they're in that dynamic. So mm-hmm. if you are curious, the best thing to do is start up conversation and ask be polite don't be like hey what's your collar for <laughs> yeah right but you know have some tact people most people are happy to talk about it in my experience yeah as long as you're polite and coming from a genuine honest place of curiosity yeah don't be an asshole and you'll get far yeah <laughs> basically laws in full effect that's my that's my advice not only for kink life but for just your life life don't be an asshole and you'll get far so we've covered dominant submissive we've covered master slave so now we're going to cover top and bottom, which I touched on last time, but we're mm-hmm. going to go into it a little bit more. I want to bring up our personal experience with this. Yeah. Jake identifies as dominant. Mm-hmm. And when we first started doing impact play together, he, and this was something that we didn't really negotiate and we should have, but mm-hmm. he didn't know if it was okay to act dominant with me. And since we hadn't negotiated that in the scene, I just didn't. So he had to learn how to top without being a dom, which what is the difference, Jake? Okay, so being a dominant means that you are in control of the situation. This is going to sound a little circular, and I apologize, but you are displaying your dominance over your submissive, and that physically could take the form of grabbing their arm and moving it to somewhere where you want it to be, or using kind of confrontational words with them, using the tone more of like you're giving orders rather than asking them to do something, showing that you have control over the situation, and this scene is going to go quote unquote, how you want it to. Of course, that's not really the case because you've negotiated the scene before. Exactly, exactly. But in that scene, for example, if Jake just tops me, he's not going to pull my hair and say, you want more slut? He's not going to choke me and say, who's in charge? He's not going to do those things. A top literally means the person that is doing something to you. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> the, in my opinion and in my experience, that is what a top yeah. is, is the person that's doing something to you. The top does the thing. The, the bottom, bottom receives the thing. Yep. I was being a bottom without being a submissive. I yep. did not say yes, sir, to him. I did not say anything in a submissive tone to him. God, you didn't um, really say anything. No. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I do... Uh, she gets quiet. When I bottom for, for impact play, I get really, really quiet. So it's the one time when the brattiness and the smartassery goes away. And if you're thinking to yourself, what's impact play? Don't we'll worry, get we'll that. get to that. But right now, we've been recording for about a half hour. I think it's time for a break. I think so, too. I'm going to go have some wine, I think. 
All right, guys, we're back. I hope you enjoyed your brief break. You know, if you need to take a longer one than I chose to edit into the podcast, feel free. We're kind of feeding you with a fire hose right now. There's a lot of information. There is. But once you kind of are able to digest these first couple of episodes and and process through them and do some research and stuff, you'll start getting on firmer footing and you'll be able to explore a little bit more of the quote-unquote fun stuff. Although Mm -hmm. this is fun for me, being able to, to teach and learn new things. And it may be fun for some of our fackers. So one thing I did want to point out, so we talked about the difference between topping and bottoming and how Jake didn't know if he could be dominant with me. When I say being dominant with me, I mean that in the context of a scene, not in our dynamic. Jake yeah. and I are friends, and that's all we are. But we have an we, equal zero power exchange. We do not friendship. have a dynamic. So when I say being dominant, I just mean within the scene, and the same for me being submissive to him. I just mean in the scene. And again, we talked about in our previous episode how kink, sex, and relationships are three completely separate domains that you are allowed to mix at your leisure. And the dominance can be a part of any of those individually or all three of them combined together Mm -hmm. or any mix thereof. So the next role that I want to talk about, and this one I do have personal experience with because this is one of the things I identify as, is a switch. A switch can be both in the submissive role and the dominant role. Or if you don't have a DS dynamic, they can be a top or a bottom. Yep. Essentially, that's. I think that's a better way to phrase it is just that they can yeah. be a top or a bottom. So a switch, they basically like both sides. I'm also bisexual. So I think that's that maybe why I like I identify as a switch too is because I, I like to have my cake and eat it too. I like to, to do... <laughs> To do two things, like to have both my options. I got a really good piece of wisdom when I was growing up, and it was God bless the flexible, for they are never bent out of shape. (laughs) I like that a lot. Yeah. That is a good one. So a switch can literally go from being a top in one scene to a bottom in another, which I just recently did. So I co-topped Paige, actually with Jake. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've co-topped with Jake before in private scenes as well with other people. But later that party, I was the bottom for Jake for yep. Impact Play. So. We've said Impact Play so many times, we should probably just drill down into what that is. Well, we kind of gave a little short definition last time in our first episode. Yeah, that's true. We'll get to that. So that's basically what a switch is, is that they can, they can float on both sides of the line. Yep. Top or bottom. They like both. Brat is our next one. A brat is something that I identify as. I'm sure you've heard me say it a bunch of times now. Jake, what's your definition of a brat? I want to hear yours first. Oh, God. Smart alecky. Always quick with a witty retort or to contort your words in a way that you didn't mean them. That's what she said personified is a brat. Uh, And that was actually a new one that I hadn't heard before I really entered the BDSM community. I think Ash will give, hopefully, some of our listeners an in-depth education on what it means to be a brat. So, brattiness can mean a couple of different things, and being a brat can mean a couple of different things. It really depends on the person, because to me, there is fun, playful brat. And mm-hmm. then there is obnoxious brat who takes it too far. And it's there's a difference between being a smart ass and being an asshole. And that's kind of where <laughs> I lie with it. Like, I like being a smart ass. I like kind of poking the dom or poking the sadist. And I, I like poking at them. I like being a smart ass to them. If they leave a door just cracked for me, if they say something and I can make a pun, a bad joke, a just a witty comment, something like that. And she will kick it down. Oh, well, Kool-Aid man, that son of a bitch. I'll mm-hmm. burst through that thing. That's kind of how I'm a brat. And then if I'm in a scene or if I'm playing with somebody and they tell me to do something, I may not do it the first time. Mm-hmm. I may want to be actually physically made to do it. Yep. Um, <laughs> Would you say that's a lot of appeal of what being a brat is for you? Oh, God. Yeah, it is. For you me. just like to be made to do I it. I like to be made to do it. I yeah. like to be, I like to push, and then I like to be quote unquote pushed back. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking physical pushing and shoving here, just well. like. The boundary. Not for me, anyway. That yeah. may be somebody else's thing. But I like to I like to poke, and I like to kind of be like, oh, yeah? Make me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah? You really going to do that? Show me. Show me how you're going to do that. Come on. And of course, you can you can take that too far. You can take it to the point where it does get annoying and it's not yeah. fun anymore. So I try really hard to stay on the fun side of the and line. that line yeah. is, you know, flexible. It's wherever you and your person you're bratting to want to draw it, really. Oh, God, yeah. Well, my male partner also identifies as a brat. And our whole relationship basically is who can out-brat who. We you go... You guys must be a lot of fun. Oy vey, some days. Yeah. <laughs> so... With us, with myself and my male partner, the line is probably different than it would be with somebody who's not a brat because we can brat at each other and we can mm-hmm. we can keep it going. And other people may find that obnoxious. So it really just depends on the individual relationship you have with that person. Yeah, we do find it obnoxious. Um, don't worry. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> find your face obnoxious. So there you go. That was a very good example for all of our <laughs> listeners. That was a really, really bad comeback. Normally I'm quicker than that. Yeah. I don't know why you're choosing to give them your your D game, but uh Uh you know, it's it's kind of been a D week, so my D game is coming out word. a little bit. Um, I think we've both been getting a lot of the D recently. We have, and not in the fun way either. Mm-mm. For those of you that are curious into my personal life, my car broke down this week, so that that's kinda why it's been a, a D level week for me. It's yeah. just uh dealing with that shit is never fun. So there's me being a brat and brat tamer is a dominant who likes the bratty behavior because mm-hmm. not all dominants do some dominants like absolutely cannot stand brats and they don't want to play with them they don't want to consider them they're just like nope i don't i don't want that that's not what i want yeah. and that's okay and ash was talking about how she likes to be pushed back uh, the brat tamer would be the one who is pushing back the brat tamer is the one who's grabbing me by the hair and saying yeah this is how i'm gonna fucking make you mm-hmm. and again you know it's the it's the complimentary role they like trying to control someone that fights back a little bit yep you know in that fun playful quote-unquote fun playful way yep um so now we have rigor and rope bunny and these complement each other so rigor is somebody whose main expression of kink comes out through placing somebody in rope placing mm-hmm. somebody in a tie possible rope suspension Basically, anything to do with rope is how they find fulfillment in their expression of kink, to my understanding. And a rigger would be a top. So just to put a finer point on that, anything that involves putting someone else in rope. Their complement would be the rope bunny. Yep. I don't know why they're called that. I don't know why. Like, that's, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. That's, that's the common <laughs> that's, the, that's the terminology. So Rems the breaks. So Rope Bunny is somebody whose main expression of kink and who finds their main fulfillment in kink in being placed in rope. Mm-hmm. And you can identify as many different things. You do not have to pick. I can be a brat. I can be a switch, which I am. I'm both those things. But I could also be a Rope Bunny. I could also be a submissive there's there's all kinds of things that you can identify as like i am a switch which means i can top people but i definitely stay more on the submissive side I, i'd say i'm about like 70 percent submissive and probably 30 percent top one of the most common features of bdsm that even people who really have no clue about it other than what they may have picked up from Media. tv yeah. or pop culture is the safe word they're pretty simple Again, just like everything else, they mean different things to different people. Everybody will have a different meaning attached to their safe word. Safe words can be any word that you want them to be. And they can mean whatever you need them to mean. When you're negotiating, this should also be something that is included. These are my safe words. This is what they mean. That should probably be like the first thing you guys talk about. Yeah. So with the safe words, a lot of really common ones are traffic signals. Green, which isn't really used, but green. Yeah, if everything's going fine, nobody needs a safe word. Nobody really needs a safe word. I've never heard anyone call green. Right? Yellow usually will mean slow down, check in, pause. For me, yellow, personally, my yellow means stop and check in. It's just like a pause for me. It's It's hitting the pause button check in. I may need a different implement. I may be uncomfortable with something in the scene. I may just need to pee. Yeah. Um, so yellow the means true pause. code yellow. Thank you, Jake. So yellow just means pause and check in for me. Yeah, and yellow or whatever word you choose to mean for the intermediate is the one with the most flexibility to it, generally. Because I think, for the most part, from the people we've spoken to, red is almost always interpreted as this scene's over. Actually, not always. 
I mean, not always, sure. But I would say yellow carries the most ambiguity or whichever level yellow is at. So it might be a good idea to have more than one intermediate safe word. Not at the level that this needs to stop, but you want different words for keep doing what you're doing, but at a different spot. Or keep doing what you're doing, but not so fast. Well, and I think you're overcomplicating it, honestly, because... Like, if your top is pausing and checking in, you can just express that to him or her, Mm -hmm. whoever your top is. I don't think you need, because when you're in subspace, you're not going to be able to remember what pumpkin means versus what vermilion means versus what turquoise means. Yeah, I mean, even we have a, you know, kind of a more refined yellow. Oh, well. Like, if you want me to switch (laughs) an implement, you just say yellow, change the implement. Yeah, oh, I thought you were talking about my my quote-unquote pre-yellow. Oh, no. (laughs) So when uh, when I am doing impact play, I get really close to calling yellow. I'm not quite there yet, but my word that I, I don't intentionally use it, it just comes out is fuck. Mm-hmm. If you can get me to say fuck, then I'm usually at like that right is, at that level. That is the um, sweet spot. I'm almost to yellow, but not quite. If you can get a, a fuck out of me, then, then you're doing a pretty good job. So yellow for me means pause, check in, figure out what I need. Let's continue. Mm-hmm. If I call red during a scene, it means get your hands off me, stop what you're doing, check in. It doesn't necessarily mean the scene is over for me, though. I may just need a moment and then we can continue. It may mean the scene is over. It depends on the context. And that is why having your top check in on you is so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. That is uh, a brief overview on safe words. Um, Some of the other... (laughs) One of the more popular safe words, too, is uh, for red is pineapples. Yeah, pineapple or ocean. I've heard ocean. You've heard ocean? I've never heard yeah. ocean. Huh. Heard some people use okay. ocean. I'd hesitate to say too much more about safe words other than that communication is very important and you should have one that at, le- at you should at least have one that means come talk to me. I need your attention for a second and then I'll tell you how to adjust what you're doing from there. And then you should have one that means this stops right now. Mm-hmm. I agree. And exactly what those are and exactly where those boundaries lie work out between you and your scene partner. Common ones are the track colors. Though. Yeah, yeah. That's, those uh, are definitely the most common. Touching back to our earlier topic for a little bit, roles within the community. There is a really fun little test that you can take. It's called the BDSM test. It will ask you a series of questions and kind of give you a percentage of what roles you maybe identify as, yeah. depending on the answers to your questions. Yeah, and they ask you a bunch. It's, yeah, they do. It's a long one. Yeah, it's pretty um, deep. I wouldn't say it's long, long. It takes maybe like 10, 15 minutes, something like that. Yeah, but I mean, for, for most internet quizzes, this is not a BuzzFeed quiz. Yeah, this that's is, true. This is a little more intense than... It, it is more intense um, than which Spongebob character are you. Yes. Definitely. So if you want that, you can go to bdsmtest.org. And they have all kinds of fun roles. Some of the ones we mentioned, I think they probably have all of the ones we mentioned. And then they have a lot of them that we didn't mention. And they will give you a brief overview as well of those yeah. roles. They'll give you um, a definition of those roles too. If you are curious about, hmm, I wonder what um, role I maybe identify as... Maybe go take the test and just see for your own curiosity. It'll give you a word to describe yourself with, at least. Maybe you have all these ideas floating around of things that you're into, but you don't exactly have a word for it. And, you know, building your vocabulary and being able to have a word that accurately describes what you like is an important tool for being able to communicate what you're into to other people. And the BDSM test at bdsmtest.org has a lot of resources to help you figure that out. Yeah. That's what a lot of people on FetLife use. Yep. So um, you'll see their results posted. If you are new to FetLife, you'll probably stumble across a few profiles that'll have something akin to here's my results or here's that test that everyone takes yep that's yeah. they're talking about they're, they're most talking, likely about talking about BDSM the BDSM test. test before we end i just want to touch on a couple of basic different types of play impact 
That's hitting people. Yep. You can hit people <laughs> with all kinds of different stuff. I know we've been teasing it forever, and you've probably put that together in your mind by now. But yeah, that's just things colliding with people in all kinds of fun and interesting ways. So common tools of impact play are floggers, crops, paddles. Those are all in- instruments of impact play. Mm-hmm. I will say there are two basic terms in impact play, and that's stingy or thuddy. Yep. And those describe the sensation that the implement is giving you. Thuddy is a deeper pain. I think the sound is different too. It almost oh, sounds yeah. thuddy. It's quieter. Um, yeah, definitely. To me. And the way you know if something is stingy is if it stings when you get hit with it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, not um, super creative with the naming on that one. To me, stingy, I prefer stingy because I process it differently. Thuddy hurts for me. Thuddy hurts in not a fun way. Yeah. Whereas stingy feels good for me. So you may have to experiment with what you like and figure out mm-hmm. that, oh, no, I'm not okay with this. And it could vary day to day, too, of, no, today I'm in a stingy mood. Today mm-hmm. I'm in a thuddy mood. Yep. Today I'm in a both mood. You can use both things on me. So mm-hmm. he mentioned earlier that his sub hates stingy and loves thuddy. And I'm yep. the exact opposite. Yep. I it's, hate thuddy and love stingy. It is amazing how opposite you guys are. <laughs> Truly incredible. So it's fun for me because I get to do everything. Yep. Knife play. We touched on that a little bit last time, but knife play is essentially, I think you defined it perfectly last time. Very light cuts or scratching uh, with the tip of a knife. Similarly related to knife play is scratch play, which is scratching scratching people with other stuff. Common for scratch player, like I've had turkey lifters used on me. I've had barbecue forks used on me. They're pretty interwoven. Knife play can go a little bit more intense. There is, there can be blood with knife play. I think with the knife Um, play, not only is the sensation important, but the fact that it's a knife is also important. There's just something a little bit extra primal. Or, yeah, I don't know, mind, what's the word? Mindfucky. <laughs> yeah, something a little more um, psychologically engaging yeah. about having a knife rather than a turkey lifter. Even though they can do the same thing, you know. You Sometimes can... I think the turkey lifter could actually do more damage. Oh, hell yeah. So. But there's something about a knife that is just a glorious little mind fuck and it messes yeah. with your head. You know, there's so much like pre-built psychology around knives that yeah. I think that's a big part of knife play too. And yeah. we definitely didn't mention that in the last episode. Some people will use scalpels for knife play as well and they, they go a little bit more intense with it. Yeah. So Yeesh. knife play has a lot of different levels of intensity. Please find somebody that knows what the hell they're doing. Yeah. If you want to oh, try it. Jesus. <laughs> this yeah, is not something for you to just experiment with. Guys, I want to reiterate again listening to this podcast is not this is not the step before you dive headfirst into all of this stuff please don't listen to this podcast and decide yep time to go do knife play that would be like reading a brochure and deciding to move to that city yeah this is maybe reading the brochure and trying to maybe i'd like to vacation there one day yeah don't don't buy the house before you visit it you know what i mean make sure that you are being careful Make sure that you are doing your research. Make sure that you are learning before you jump mm-hmm. headfirst in. Please be careful. Please be smart. Please use common sense. Mm-hmm. Electric play. There is, so there's a TENS unit. People use it for therapy as well. Yeah, like um, if you have... Sore what? muscles, fibromyalgia. Yeah. Sometimes it's used for RSD. It's used for a lot of like chronic pain management mm-hmm. because it will send electric like pulses basically to muscle groups yeah it's two electrodes you put them anywhere essentially like but it can be used for electric play as well tens units on the breasts are a really unique sensation yeah um it's intended originally as a medical device but you know people are people we we've, found we've perverted it yeah, quite we, literally yeah. pun very much intended that's what so. perverted means like <laughs> it's ironic the word perverted has been itself perverted To pervert something is to use something not for its original purpose or to use it for evil. Right. Or in economics, they talk about a perverse incentive, which means you intend to incentivize people to do something, but it it winds up having, yeah, it's a backfire. There's also a device called a violet wand. It sends electricity through you, basically. You can get different quality violet wands. Please... Do your research. 
before you ever try any kind of electric play. Yeah, and there's a lot of medical conditions that electric play can make a lot worse. Yes. Yeah, so Um, make sure you don't have any of those first. Please, yeah. If you are interested in it, find somebody that knows how to do it. Yep, and... They should be asking you a lot of health questions before they try it. If they don't, the same goes with any play. Yep. Really. Yeah. If they're not asking some questions, if they're just willing to like jump in without asking more than your name, that's probably a red flag. Yeah, probably not a great thing. Um, So electric play is essentially just different ways of sending electrical currents Mm -hmm. through you and different parts of your body. Yeah, it stimulates your nerves directly. I like electric play. I think it feels like a combination of being tickled and tattooed. That's how I explain it. Hmm. Um, Depending on the intensity, sometimes it just really fucking hurts. It's pretty fun comfortable. It's fun comfortable. Yes. I love it. So there's something called needle play as well. And that's something I haven't personally experienced. It's just not something I'm really interested in. It's basically just poking needles through the skin. You're not usually piercing the skin like you would to pierce your ears or something see that's Um, a lot of the examples i have seen of needle play really yeah people putting i guess it's just the more decorative stuff that i've seen but i actually saw one a while ago and it was a piece of lace like a lace ribbon pinned into someone's skin in an ornate pattern oh i'm because podcasting is an auditory medium yeah you couldn't see that wicked cringe that Ash just did. But that was like a full body contortion. <laughs> Needles are just not not my favorite N- thing. Not your so. kink. It's not. And I'm not trying to judge. It just, it's not something that I can watch. It's, it, it's a little too close to, to a medical play for me, which yeah, is a, is a hard fair. limit for me. Yeah. I, however, thought it looked great and was sexy as shit. So see, I mean, everybody yep. is, is really different with what they like. The needle play that I have seen pictures of has not been piercing needles. It's been very fine needles through the skin. So kind of more like acupuncture kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit. If you're interested in that, figure out the different styles, do some research into the styles Mm -hmm. of it. And uh, don't go jabbing needles into yourself willy nilly. No, don't. (laughs) There is also fire play. I also have not experienced this personally. I've watched it done. Mm -hmm. And essentially, and this is a very, very simplistic explanation, but essentially what happens is uh, like a layer of rubbing alcohol is usually put on your back mm-hmm. and then there's fire and it it's put out very, very quickly. Essentially, all it does is it burns up the rubbing alcohol. It doesn't yeah. burn you. It just yeah, burns it, the rubbing alcohol off. The whole point of it is that your skin is actually pretty bad at conducting heat. And so fire play takes advantage of that and straddles the line between... Pleasure, stop, pain, yeah, line. pleasure and yep. pain. Just like so much else of bdsm yep yeah that's a really high production one you need like a fire extinguisher and special that is absolutely something you do not fuck around with please 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 find somebody that knows what they're doing yep if you want to try that be safe with it the only thing that's good burnt is bacon not you so blood play. Blood play is pretty much essentially what it sounds like. It's where you're playing with blood. Mm-hmm. You draw um, a little bit of blood. You can do finger paint with it or keep it on the person who's bleeding or put it on yourself or... It's literally just playing yeah, with blood. playing with blood. And that one has uh, some health concerns with it. Obviously, you want to make sure that no one has any bloodborne illnesses or mm-hmm. anything like that. You want to make sure you keep that really clean. It's not really something that I have done I thought blood was a hard limit for me until I accidentally drew blood. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Was that, that doesn't bother me. Was that with me? Uh, n- or was that one No, that, that was with Paige. Okay. Yeah, man, I gave her a good spanking. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. It is hard to draw blood with a, with yes, a paddle. It is. Yes, it is. Edge play. Yep. Edge play refers to a broad category of kink, which is legitimately really dangerous there is all kinds of stuff you can do under the edge play category but basically the common theme is that you're really pushing people's limits and it is probably very very dangerous it could go wrong pretty quickly these are the ones that can go wrong in a big way yep these Um, are the ones where people could die if you do it wrong yeah i mean not to sound scary or anything but appreciate the gravity of the situation for edge play 
So, uh, again, there's a ton of different things that fall under edge play. I, I would argue to say knife play could fall under edge play depending on how you're doing it. I think all of this actually could fall under edge play mm-hmm. depending on how you're doing it. But edge play scenes are the really, really, really intense ones where there's, I'd say, an element of fear. Yeah, to them. definitely. Yeah, definitely. Pet play. So pet play is... To a lighter note. To a lighter note. Yeah, we're yeah. going right from one to the other. Pet play is where a person will express themselves as a certain animal. A lot of the ones that are common are ponies and puppies and kittens. Those are, I think, the three that I have yep. personally like met people. Yeah, you and see they've a lot of kittens out there. I mean, um, even in, you know, just the vanilla world at large, you'll see... A lot of, you know, especially like college age girls walking around with cat ears on. Yeah. You know? And I don't know if that's necessarily a pet play thing, but it could be for them. So pet play is just essentially how they choose to express their kink. So a lot of times they'll take on the characteristics and of that particular animal. I know with pony play, there's a whole lot of gear that goes involved with that. They mm. fit bridles the whole nine. And a lot of times there's animal tail butt plugs. There's animal ears. They have the little, like, furry gloves. Yeah. It, it's kind of like being a, a really low-key furry. Yeah. I, I would yeah. agree. And if you don't know what a furry is, look it up because we don't have time to yeah, go into not that. today. Age play. Age play is where somebody will express kink by taking on a different age than what they really are. Yeah, so, they get themselves into the headspace of an age that they are not. And again, this involves consenting adults. They are 18 mm-hmm. or over. But they may act like they are 5. They may get into that headspace where they are 5. They may get into that headspace where they're 10. They're a teenager. Mm-hmm. You can you can do age play in a lot of different ways. Yeah, um, and I mean, we say they're consenting adults because they are, but this doesn't necessarily involve sex. Remember, kink is a thing in unto itself. Just because it is kinky does not mean it involves sex. Yep. So. Um, so age play, and again, please remember these are just very brief definitions, mm-hmm. but it's where you're expressing yourself. Yeah, really, um, guys, this is the lightning round. Yep. It's where you're you're getting into the headspace of an age that is different than what you are. So uh, there's sensation play. The ones that I know off the top of my head are hot and cold. Mm-hmm. So um, those are really common ones. I like hot and cold play too. I like cold play. I don't like hot. <laughs> yeah, I well the thing is I don't even like hot play necessarily. I like warm play on a cold day. Whatever the temperature outside isn't, that's what I like. See, and I'm I'm cold play all the time. Yeah. So not the band. You don't wear coats except in like the dead of December. Yeah, it's really gotta be cold for me to wear a coat. But cold play is like, for example, there is a thing called a corksicle it is to keep your wine bottles cold Uh but uh that got perverted a little bit yeah it's uh (laughs) so it's a chill though yeah it was it kind of got turned into a chill though a little bit that would be an example of cold play ice cubes Mm -hmm. ice packs in a sexual way yeah so putting a cold thing on yourself yeah if you've gone to your local adult store you may have seen a crop which is a long rigid handle with a strap of leather, faux leather, something on the end. And then on the other end, it will have something fuzzy or tickly or something Mm -hmm. that might give a non-painful sensation. And that is a sensation play implement. So literally slap and tickle them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's sensory deprivation. And that's pretty self-explanatory. Blindfolds, earplugs, anything that deprives the senses yeah and it can be really simple like that or it can go all the way into a full-on sensory deprivation tank and then the last one that i'm going to touch on is consensual non-consent this one is a big one and i'm again i'm just giving you the very briefest definition consensual non-consent is where somebody has usually negotiated a little bit before the scene, like maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe even a year, yeah. of what they would be okay with in a consensual non-consent scene. Sometimes it will involve kidnapping, it can involve prisoner, it can involve being in a cage. This, I would say, is not for beginners. You no. really have to know yourself 
very well before you engage in consensual non-consent. And, and I will touch on this more in a later episode when I talk about the psychology of kink a little bit. That's a pretty extreme example of CNC. I mean, there are even more, you know, kind of more casual, relaxed examples that might well, be a little more newbie friendly. For me, if I'm tickled, which is my main kink, I will say stop. I will say yeah. no. I'll say quit. I don't mean it. Unless I call red. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that is a very low-key form of consensual non-consent. And I think it's it's something that we've had experiences with where, yeah. you know, we'll say, oh, stop, but it's not really a stop. Yeah. So that can be another example. I just started out with the most extreme because I wanted to that, make it that's very That's probably clear. what people think of when they think consensual non-consent. I wanted to make it very clear that it is not, that level is not for yeah. beginners. Yeah. Amen. So, so we've gone over a lot in this episode, I know this has been a ton of information for yeah. you. Are you feeling overwhelmed yet? The good news is it's a podcast and that play button will work if you hit it a second time. Also, if you have questions, please, please, please message us. Yeah, um, you can message us. Absolutely message the, the podcast page if you have any questions or suggestions mm-hmm. for episodes that we can do. Questions that you want answered, please message us. The other part of it, too, is this is you're still in the beginning of your journey. Mm-hmm. You're still in the beginning of figuring out what the hell, you know, I'm, I'm kinky. Now what kind of a thing? Yeah, exactly. So this episode was a little bit more of a lecture style just mm-hmm. because we had to get through some definitions. Yeah. Not all of our episodes will be like this. No. And just going back to message. If you don't want to message us, you know, like ask someone. Yeah. It doesn't have to be us. No, talk to people. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Please don't be afraid to ask questions. And the biggest, I think the biggest thing to remember is be polite. Don't be Mm -hmm. an ass and you'll get fairly, fairly far. Yeah. One thing that we did want to bring up too is if you do ask questions, so say you are at a munch or something like that, and Mm -hmm. um, you do ask questions of an individual oh, well, can you tell me more about this? I'm not sure I understand what this word means or this term or this role is. Mm -hmm. If they look at you funny and are really not receptive to your question, Mm -hmm. you're you're talking to the wrong person. And if everyone at that particular munch is like that, it could just mean you're at the wrong munch. You want to find one that's accepting to new people. Mm -hmm. It's going to be educational. That is going to be what you need it to be. Find the munch that works for you. Mm-hmm. Find the people that work for you. Jake said it last time, you got to find your tribe. Exactly. And that's good life advice as well. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for yep. today. Again, you can find us on Tumblr at kinkyfaxpodcast.tumblr.com. You can follow our show on iTunes and Google Play Music. And, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud. And we are on all of those platforms as kinky. Fackers, F-A-Q-E-R-S. And that is our FetLife name as well. Yep. All one word on FetLife, no space, no hyphen, no anything like that. So... Uh, Add us. We could use some more friends. Yes. Next time we will be talking about how to do your first munch and yep. how to have a good experience at your first munch. Yep. The do's and, and don'ts, the etiquette, all and that. And how to know if you are or are not at the right munch. Yep, you will have that to look forward to. It's going to be a lot more of a conversational instead of a lecture style, but... A little more informal. Yep, unfortunately, though, you've got to learn the terms. you got to get hip with the lingo. And hey, when we talk about going to your first munch next time, this will have been a good brief dive into some of the terms you need to know to maybe feel more confident about asking your questions. Yeah, and terms that you will hear at a Yes, exactly. Terms that you will see on FetLife. Terms Again, that you will see on Tumblr, so... We're, we're hoping that you get about 10 to 25% clued on each of the topics we talked about, so you're not totally clueless. Yep. You are very smart people, and I know this can be scary, but we are here for you. Yep. And uh, we appreciate all of you listeners out there. Mm-hmm. So, to the kinky fackers, have fun, be safe, and get consent. That's right. And we'll see you next week.